right, good morning, everybody. Really glad to see you this morning, and I hope you have your Bible with you, and that you'll open to 1 Peter chapter 5. 1 Peter chapter 5 is where we are in our study of God's Word. We are getting close to the end of 1 Peter. Uh, there's a lot, a lot of good things left for us to see uh, as we finish up this letter. Last week, we saw Pastor Peter continue to direct Christians as to how to relate to one another within the church. He had given clear directions to the elders we call pastors at First Baptist Harrisburg. He gave direction to the pastors two weeks ago, and then he turned his attention to the group that is most likely to resist the leadership of the elders, namely the younger men. He told them specifically to submit themselves to the elders. And in so doing, he implied that the whole church is to do the same. And then he addressed everyone, all the Christians, elders, Youngers and everyone in between and on either end, saying that we are all to clothe ourselves with humility toward one another. You might remember John Piper's imagery of the uniform, the uniform that distinguishes us as the people of God, that unites us together as the people of God, is the uniform of humility. So for application last week, I invited you to dance. I said, let's dance, let's dance together. We elders will lead you young men and all the rest, follow, submit. All together we will dance recognizing that Jesus is the chief shepherd. Jesus Christ is a lead pastor of First Baptist Church Harrisburg. I tried to affirm uh, last week that we're doing a good job with this. We are dancing well together. You are uh, letting us lead and you are following as we lead. And there was a great example of that in the middle of last week at church business meeting. We had a quarterly business meeting and there were no uh, fist fights. Uh, there was no cursing. Um, it was smooth, it was good, we did good work, and we were together in it. And, and there was even a little mix-up at the end where we adjourned the meeting and I had forgotten one important thing, and we were able to just quickly get back together and do that one important thing. It was beautiful, it was a good, good dance, and so I'm thankful for that. I also said by way of application last week that we must put on humility. First, we must put on humility to admit that we are sinners and repent. We must put on humility at conversion to trust in Jesus Christ for salvation. We must put on humility to see his holiness. We must put on humility to see our sinfulness and admit it. And we must put on humility to depend entirely on the work of Jesus Christ on the cross for our salvation. We must humble ourselves at conversion, but we must go on humbling ourselves in sanctification to live together as the body of Christ. This will take initiative. This will take work. This will take effort to humble ourselves. It's not natural to live with humility. It is supernatural. And I reminded you that you have the spirit of the living God inside of you. I reminded you that this place, this world, is not our home. Humility and submission are not virtues that are celebrated by our culture, but they are virtues that are commanded by our Lord and Savior. And if we will live by his standard, by his commands, we will stand out like sore thumbs in this world. This place is not our home, and there is a war within us. There is a constant struggle within me for first place. I want first place. But I'm not to be in first place. The Lord Jesus Christ gets first place, and the rest of you get second place, and I'm somewhere down the, down the line. In humility, we count others more important than ourselves. And we submit ourselves to the Lord Jesus Christ, but that's a war within our own hearts. And I told you, finally, there's a world to win. Like, if we live with this kind of humility to which we are called in the scriptures, people will notice. People will notice, and they will ask, and we will have an opportunity to give an answer for the hope that is within us. 
we will have an opportunity to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ, right? Salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Well, you may remember last week that Peter ended by rooting his call to clothe ourselves with humility in the scriptures. He specifically quoted Proverbs chapter 3, verse 34 as the basis for that call. Look at it in your Bible. He said, and all of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another for God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. That's from Proverbs chapter 3, verse 34. And what we, were, what we will do today, what we will see today, is that same passage from Proverbs that served as the basis or the foundation for last week's call to humility toward one another is going to serve as the launching pad for this week's call to humility before the Lord. Last week, it served as the basis for a call to, to humility toward one another. This week, it's going to launch us toward humility before the Lord. And I'm excited to share this with you today. I think this, this week's lesson from 1 Peter is super important. It's been a text that I have needed this week. It has been a text that has been super helpful for me this week. And I hope it's half as helpful for you as it has been for me. Today may sound a little bit different. I'm probably not going to preach as long as I usually do uh, for a couple reasons. One, I want to give a bunch of time for us to respond to this together. And number two, we need to spend some time with our friends who are headed back to Central Asia, uh, hearing from them and praying for them uh, as we wrap up the service. So let's get right to it, right? First Peter chapter 5. We're going to look today at verses 6 and 7, but I want to start reading in verse 1 so that you see how all of this is connected uh, I'm going to say in a minute that these are not disconnected, standalone statements from Peter. This is all one big connected thought. So start reading with me in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 1. It says, Therefore, I exhort the elders among you as your fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ and a partaker also of the glory that is to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but voluntarily according to the will of God, and not for sordid gain, but with eagerness, nor yet as lording it over those allotted to your charge, but proving to be examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. You younger men, likewise, be subject to your elders. And all of you, clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. For God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you at the proper time. Casting all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, whose hand is mighty beyond all others, it is astonishing that you care for us. Your hand is strong and your heart is tender. And we are thankful to be called your children. We ask that you would use your authoritative word today to teach us to humble ourselves before you by casting all our anxiety on you, knowing that at the right time, at the proper time, you will exalt us. Oh Lord, I am anxious about many things. I hold on to them in pride as if I am the one in control as if I am the one who can fix what is broken, heal what is wounded, mend what is torn. But that's your work. Help me, I pray, to trust less in myself and more in you. 
to trust none in myself and all in you. Teach me today humility and dependence. Grant me repentance of my pride for Christ's sake. And in his name we pray. Amen. So you notice at the beginning of verse 6, the very first word is therefore. This is the connecting word for this week. Last week the connecting word was likewise. This week it's therefore. And I want you to see right off the bat that these are not disconnected standalone precepts from Pastor Peter. This is a developed, connected exhortation about how we live as the people of God, how we live together as the people of God, and how we live before him as the people of God. This admonition, this exhortation, this command is flowing right out of Peter's quotation of Proverbs 3 and the issue of humility. He said, God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God is the main imperative this week. It is the call to action. It is the main command that we must obey. R.C. Sproul says of these words, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. In that simple phrase, we have a microcosm of the entire Christian life. Obedience means submitting to the arm of the Lord, acknowledging him as Lord and acknowledging his eternal and everlasting authority to require of us whatsoever is pleasing to him. Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God is a microcosm of the entire Christian life. That word humble yourselves literally means make yourselves low. Make yourselves low. Put yourself under. What is the opposite of humility? Well, the opposite of humility would be pride, right? Anybody got a problem with pride? Anybody struggle with pride? I think we all do. In fact, I, I think it's a root sin behind a lot of other sins. Arguably behind most of our sins lies the evil of pride. Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. That's going to be difficult for us to do. It will not come naturally to us. We will see in this text that there is a war the lusts of the flesh waging war against our souls in the sin of pride. Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, under the mighty hand of God. That imagery is really interesting. It is rich in the Old Testament. It is rich throughout the scriptures. The idea of the mighty hand of God is seen all over the place. We see the mighty hand of God at work in creation. Look at Isaiah 48 with me. Isaiah 48, verse 13. Surely my hand founded the earth, and my right hand spread out the heavens. When I call to them, they stand together. His mighty hand at work in creation. Also in Jeremiah chapter 32, verse 17. Ah, Lord God, behold, you have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and by your outstretched arm. Nothing is too difficult for you. Some of you can't help but read that and sing it in your heads, right? You were doing that just then? Yeah. We also see the mighty hand of God on display in deliverance, particularly in the story of the Exodus. Look at Exodus chapter 6, verse 1. But the Lord said to Moses, Now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh, for with a strong hand he will send them out, and with a strong hand he will drive them out of the land. We see Daniel reflecting on the Exodus, saying it like this. And now, O Lord our God, who have brought your people out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand and have made a name for yourself as it is this day. We have sinned and we have been wicked. 
We see the mighty hand of God at work in creation. We see the mighty hand of God at work in deliverance. We also see the mighty hand of God at work in judgment. Look at Joshua chapter 4, verse 23. For the Lord your God dried up the waters of the Jordan before you until you had crossed, just as the Lord your God had done to the Red Sea, which he dried up before us until we had crossed, that all the peoples of the earth may know that the hand of the Lord is mighty, so that you may fear the Lord your God Forever, the hand of God on display so that people would fear him. Exodus chapter 15 speaks of this as well. Your right hand, O Lord, is majestic in power. Your right hand, O Lord, shatters the enemy. And in the greatness of your excellence, you overthrow those who rise up against you. When we look through the Bible, we see the mighty hand of God. The mighty hand of God brings people out of Egypt. It is the mighty hand of God that also sends them off to Babylon. It is the mighty hand of God that brings them home. Brothers and sisters, let us humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God. Let us humble ourselves under the almighty hand of God. So that, as the text says in 1 Peter, he may exalt you at the proper time. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you at the proper time. Jesus speaks similarly in Matthew chapter 23, verse 11 tells his disciples, the greatest among you shall be your servant. And whoever exalts himself will be humbled. And whoever humbles himself will be exalted. Look at this logic. When we humble ourselves, when we make ourselves low, instead of trying to exalt ourselves, that is raise ourselves high, the one with the mighty hand will exalt us. And he will do it at the proper time. If we try to exalt ourselves with our weak little hands, we will be brought low. We will be humbled. We will be humiliated even, and we've experienced some of this, right? But if we will make ourselves low, the one with the mighty hand will lift us high at the proper time. What is the proper time? That's a pretty important phrase in this. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may, at the proper time, exalt you. Well, what is the proper time? I want to say two things about this. One, I think the proper time for exaltation is a real-time possibility. Like possibly in this life, if you will humble yourselves under his mighty hand, he will exalt you. And I think I can say that as a possibility because I read it in the scriptures. I read it in the story of Joseph. Joseph, son of Jacob, who humbled himself under the mighty hand of God, was sold by his brothers into slavery, was falsely accused and thrown into the prison and lived in humility before the Lord. And the Lord exalted him, right? Exalted him to second in command of all of Egypt so that he could spare his own people for himself in the midst of a famine. Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God and in real time, he might exalt you. We see that with Joseph. We also see it with Daniel. Daniel who was taken off into exile and humbled himself not only under the mighty hand of God but under the hand of his king and yet at the right time, Daniel was exalted, right? God lifted him up and there are a lot of other stories like that in the scriptures and there are stories like that from church history. So I want to tell you that the right time may be real time. That is a possibility. But what I can say with confidence, with absolute certainty even, is that it is an end time certainty. That if you are in Christ, you will be exalted in the end. You will be glorified with Christ in the end, even if you are not in this life, even if you live this life 
under the mighty hand of God and under those over your charge. And you are constantly humbled in this life, never to experience any exaltation here. I can promise you, if you are in Christ, exaltation is coming. Maybe in real time, certainly in the end time. And that seems to be what Pastor Peter has been emphasizing throughout this letter. Throughout this letter, as he writes to Christians who are being persecuted, Christians who are being belittled, chosen ones who are living as aliens and strangers scattered all over Asia Minor, he's been reminding them, it won't always be like this, friends. You won't always be strangers and aliens. One day you'll be citizens. One day you'll be with him, ruling with him. One day you'll be home. And that day will last forever. One day we will be glorified if we are in Christ. Peter speaks of this at the very beginning of his letter. Turn over to chapter 1 and start reading with me in verse 3. I want you to see this. That the time for exaltation is a real-time possibility. It's an end-time certainty. Peter speaks of it as a promise at the beginning of the letter. Look at verse 3 of chapter 1. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you who are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, even though now, for a little while, if necessary, you've been distressed by various trials, so that the proof of your faith, being more precious than gold which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not see him now, but believe in him, you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, obtaining as the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Brothers and sisters, in Christ Jesus, the day of exaltation is coming. It may not be today. And it may not be tomorrow. In fact, I would encourage you not to be overly concerned with when or how that will happen. Don't be overly concerned with when or how he will exalt you. Just trust that he will. Today, humble yourselves under his mighty hand. Concern yourself with that. Concern yourself with humbling yourself under his mighty hand and leave the exaltation at the proper time up to him and trust him to do what is right. In verse 7, Pastor Peter says, casting all your anxiety on him. That word casting is a participle that modifies the original imperative to humble yourselves. Here, Pastor Peter is teaching us how we humble ourselves. How do you humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God? We do that by casting our anxieties on the Lord. So if you're reading in NIV, it makes a mistake here in making this a second imperative. Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, period. Cast your anxieties upon him, period. No, no, no. Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God by casting your anxieties upon him. That's what humility looks like. Tom Schreiner, Schreiner says it like this. The logical relationship between the two clauses is as follows. Believers humble themselves by casting their worries on God. Conversely, this is helpful. Conversely, if believers continue to worry, they are caving in to pride. Worry is a form of pride because when believers are filled with anxiety, they are convinced that they must solve all the problems in their lives in their own strength. The only God they trust in is themselves. 
Man, that's super convicting. That's a, that's a hard word for me to hear. It's not just Tom Schreiner that speaks this way, though. It's Jesus in Matthew chapter 6, right? That's why we had Pastor Joe read that a little while ago. It's not a Tom Schreiner idea. It's not a Pastor Chris idea. It's an idea from the Lord Jesus Christ. Trust him. Do you think that he doesn't care for you more than the lilies of the field? More than the birds of the air? When you take all of that into your own hands, when I take all of that into my own hands and am paralyzed by anxiety and worry, am I not demonstrating pride and a lack of faith? I think I am, and I'm convicted by it. The word for casting at the beginning of verse 7 is a super graphic word. I love H.B. Charles Jr. In fact, there are some little yellow strips of paper that have this quote on, on them near you. It says, casting means to put something on something or someone else. It's the intentional act of relocating an object from one place to another. Luke chapter 19 verse 35 uses this word to describe disciples throwing their cloaks on a colt for Jesus to ride it. To cast something is to hurl it with effort and energy. It's also a decisive act. The term was used for making a deposit. A customer making a deposit, a bank deposit, does not have a tug of war with the teller. You put it in the teller's hands and you take your hands off. This is what you should do with your anxieties. Do not let worry cause you to give up, give in, or give out. Cast your anxieties on the Lord. Hand them off to him and let go of them. That's what this text is calling us to. H.B. Charles Jr. in a great sermon on this text says, you have to cast your cares on him personally. Like you must do this. I must cast my anxieties upon him. You can't cast my anxieties upon him. I can't cast your anxieties upon him. I must do this personally. We must each do this personally. H.B. Charles also says you must do this exclusively. Cast your anxieties on him exclusively. You must cast them on him. Not merely on others. We want to be about intercession. We want to be about help. We want to bear one another's burdens. But we must cast our anxieties on him exclusively. And finally, he says, cast your anxieties on him completely. And that's where he plays on this idea of you put it on him and you let it go. You don't put it on him and keep taking it back. You don't cast your anxieties upon him and then pick them back up. I really, I, I want to be super honest with you. I really struggle with this. Really struggle with worry and anxiety. The imagery behind the word for anxiety or cares in some of your translations is this picture of being divided into pieces, being torn apart by care and concern. And I feel that. Almost every day I feel that like internally torn apart by worry and anxiety and concern. And I'm convicted when I read texts like this, when I come to Matthew chapter 6, it wrecks me every time. It's a problem for me. I think it's a problem for many of us, but I don't know that. I know it's a problem for me. And I know that for some of us, it's a problem that goes beyond mere discipleship I know for some of us, anxiety is, is a mental health issue. 
And as I talk about this, I want to be sensitive to that. I'm so afraid as your pastor that I would say something in this text today that would somehow make, make it worse for you. I, I don't want to do that by any means. I don't want to make it worse for you today. Some of us need help from doctors. Some of us need help from counselors. Some of us need help from medicines. But let me say, as you seek that help, hear me say, don't. Don't forget to cast it all upon the Lord. There may be a chemical element to this. There may be a psychological element to this. I don't deny that at all. But there is certainly a spiritual element to it. There is definitely a spiritual element to it, and that's my realm. That's my, I can't tell you about the medicine. I can't tell you about psychology. I can tell you what the Bible says. And the Bible says, cast all your anxieties upon him. Cast them upon him. And Jesus shows us how to do this. Jesus, our Lord and Savior, shows us how to do this. Shows us how to take anxieties and worry and cast them upon the Lord. And Peter has already mentioned this in his letter. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 21 says, For you have been called for this purpose, since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow in his steps, who committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth. And while being reviled, he did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats, but kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. That's the key. That's what it looks like. He kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. We see this in the Garden of Gethsemane when he is anxious. He is moved with anxiety. He is distraught, sweating drops of blood even. And yet he trusts the Father. He says, nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Jesus has given us an example of what it looks like, the greatest example of what it looks like to cast our anxieties upon the Lord. Trust Him. To humble ourselves under His mighty hand by casting our anxieties upon Him. And then look at this last part. The last part of the text is the best part. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God so that at the proper time He may exalt you Casting your anxieties, all your anxieties on the Lord because he cares for you. Because he cares for you. Oh, brothers and sisters, receive this as a balm for your soul. He cares for you. John Piper calls this the most beautiful of all sentences. He cares for you. The one with the mighty hand cares for you. The one who created everything that exists cares for you. The one who upholds it by the word of his power cares for you. Piper goes on and says, when we humble ourselves under the mighty hand that could crush us if it opposed us, we find his infinite care. We find his infinite mighty hand caring for us. R.C. Sproul said, sometimes we feel that nobody cares. Felt that way? Sometimes we feel that nobody cares. If you feel that nobody cares, this is the text you must read to be reminded that the God we serve is a God who cares for us. And if you doubt that, if you doubt that he cares for you, if you're a believer and you doubt that he cares for you, I would implore you to consider the cross. 
If you think he doesn't care for you, if you think he's distant from you, if you think he's unconcerned by your needs, I I encourage you to look to the cross. He sent his son to die for you. What more could he do to show his care for you than to sacrifice his own son in your place so that you may be forgiven of sins and be reconciled to him? On those days when the cares of this world and the whispers of the enemy would convince you that God does not care for you, look at the cross and know that he cares. He cares for you. No one, we will sing in a minute, no one ever cared for me like Jesus. No one ever cared for you like the Lord. So today for application, we're going to do something different. I'm a little bit concerned um, that this may feel manipulative or corny. I don't want it to be that way. Um, I want you to find one of these yellow sheets. They're, they're scattered all over the building. Might be in front of you, might be behind you, might be the end of your row. They're everywhere. I want you to find these little yellow sheets. We're going to do a little exercise that will tangibly... Symbolically, help us to lay our anxieties upon the Lord, to cast our anxieties upon the Lord. If you look on the one side, it's got the text that we are studying today from 1 Peter chapter 5. It's got that great quote from H.B. Charles Jr. We want to cast our anxieties upon him symbolically. I thought about this early this week. How can we do this and it not be super corny and cheesy, or should we even do this? And then we were studying in Sunday school. And Hezekiah gets this letter that is a threat. It is a worry. It is an anxiety. And what does he do? He takes it to the temple and he lays it before the Lord. And Lifeway said this, Hezekiah's actions serve as a perfect example of what God's people should do when faced with challenges and threats. We should come before the Lord and lay it all before him in absolute dependence. He knew, Hezekiah knew, that the Lord knew the contents of the letter, but his tangible actions probably helped him process the situation personally. The tangible action helped Hezekiah process the situation personally, and so I hope that this will help you process the situation personally. So I'm going to invite you to write your anxiety on the paper, on the backside of that paper. What is the source of your mind-consuming worry? What is the thing that tears you apart that divides you into pieces? What is the source of sleepless nights? Of the never-ending cycle in your head? The thing that you are bearing, that you need to cast upon the Lord. Write it down. Some of us may need both sides. In a minute, Laura's going to come and and sing a song. It's going to be a good reminder that he cares for you. 
And as she sings that song, I'm going to invite you to bring that anxiety, represent it on that paper, and cast it upon the Lord by leaving it here. It's not magical. It's not necessarily going to uh, mean casting your anxiety upon him, but I hope that this will help you process it personally. Some of you don't have anything to write on that paper. Oh, praise God. Oh, praise God. I am thankful. I am so thankful that that's the case. And I need you. I need your help. If there is not something tearing you apart, then come help someone else. Some of us need to bring these anxieties and cast them upon the Lord. Some of you can help those who are doing that by putting your hand upon them, praying for them. You don't have to inquire what, what's your anxiety, what's the, what's the thing. You don't have to know that. Your mere presence, your mere prayer, your support helps. And as we do this, Laura, come, come on up. And as we do this, all of us, let's remember that he cares for us. He cares for us. No one ever cared for me like Jesus. And so I want to take all of these cares of mine, cast them upon him. You're welcome to sing along. You're welcome to bring your anxieties to the Lord and cast them upon him. You're welcome to pray with those who are struggling. You're welcome to come talk with any of us pastors. This will not feel like the normal response time, but I think, I think it's important. I trust the Lord will direct us. Let's pray together. Stand with me. Oh, Lord, Father, King, the one whose hand is mighty beyond all others, we are amazed that you care for us, that your hand is strong for us and your heart is tender toward us, and you call us your children. Teach us to humble ourselves under your mighty hand. Remind us that you will exalt us at the proper time. Help us to cast all our anxieties upon you and never forget that you care for us. And you have demonstrated that care in the biggest way by sending your son to die in our place that we might be forgiven and have eternal life. Pray all this in his name.